0: Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet, and both thirsts would be slaked. I'd like to talk to you this week about prayer. For as secular and as uh, maybe growing atheistic country as we live in, studies still show that people are big time when it comes to prayer. I think one study I read this past week was around 75 to 80% of people admit that they say prayers one way or another throughout the week. And so uh, prayer is a very big part of the American experience. And I'd venture to say most of us here pray at different times Even if it's simply, thank you, Lord, for a morning, or I'm sorry I did that, Lord, or Lord, give me strength, whatever it may be, most of us at some point turn to request, thank, or just kind of be aware of the Lord. What I want to do today is kind of unpack, perhaps, some of the more um, traditional understandings of prayer through the saints and the scriptures that we might not have been taught by mom or grandma when we were little. Because prayer also has a false connotation in our culture, which is that it's quaint and cute and always meant to leave us in some sort of stable, self-assured state. And really what prayer is meant to do is deflate all of our masks and defenses Draw us right into our pain and fears and have us cry out with longings and needs and then in an astonishing, surprising way discover God actually is so real. He can meet me in the smallest, scariest things of my life with His love and comfort and leave me astonished, speechless, grateful, And the mark of good prayer is alive with zeal to carry out the gospel. So, in the first reading today, we have these two lines. I prayed for wisdom. I pleaded for it. I pleaded for it. See, prayer is not a psychologically stable experience always. Sometimes it is. But prayer, St. Augustine says, is nothing but exercising our longings for God. This is the Christian notion of prayer. It's very different than Buddhist traditions, which are beautiful. They really are. This idea of emptying and being stilled, it's beautiful. But the Christian notion is a longing, a panting, a thirsting, a dreaming, a hoping, and taking those places in our hearts to God as children dependent on the love of the Father to fulfill them. One theologian says, we are structurally disproportionate. Meaning we have longings and desires for things we cannot bring about. Total fulfillment and happiness. We, we just can't bring that about. <laughs> we can get little moments, you know, like a pint of ice cream or something like that. But then we want more. We need more. There's a longing in us for the more. That's the beginning of prayer. I pleaded, the first reason, reading says. It also is interesting because so many times people will say, I was praying and praying and didn't get what I wanted, and there's all sorts of reasons for each person and why that may be the case, but something that's important to know about prayer is that we've got to have first things first if our prayer life is going to actually move us towards flourishing. So the year before I was ordained a priest, I went on a 30-day silent retreat, and I was silent for 30 days. All right, and uh, it was beautiful. It was absolutely. It was hard at first, but then you settle in, and it was glorious. But uh, this 30-day retreat was the uh, the gift to the church from Saint Ignatius of Loyola, who's the founder of the Jesuits. Think of John Carroll and Ignatius. Okay, or Walsh Jesuit, something like that. And Saint Ignatius put this 30-day retreat together that you would meditate on the life of Christ from his birth to his public ministry, his suffering and death, his resurrection, and then his commissioning to you in this world, what he's calling you to. But before it even begins, St. Ignatius counsels those men and women who are going to go on any sort of retreat, any sort of serious prayer life, he has a thing called the principle and foundation. And the principle and foundation, he says, is, the needed disposition of the human heart if they're actually going to benefit from alone time with God. This is very helpful for us because if we're going to carve out time in our busy schedules for God with the wrong disposition, it's going to feel futile for a reason. So we want to know what the correct disposition is. And St. Ignatius, in his time period, in his way, wrote it this way. Human beings... We're created to love, bless and reverence God. Everything is good in their lives, insofar it leads them to this, and everything is bad in a person's life, insofar as it takes you away. I'm going to say it once again because it's 7:30 a.m. Mass, not 11:30. All right, so we need to hear these things sometimes twice that. Maybe you stuck a cup of coffee, but not enough, right? So. I'm going to put in a little more modern language, but it's the same idea. Human beings were created for intimate friendship with God. Everything in your life is good insofar as it leads you to intimate friendship with God. And things in your life are bad insofar as they take you away from that. So when we go and we say, uh, Lord, I really want um, uh, a great vacation coming up. Now that's a beautiful desire. Vacations can be restorative, they can fill us with peace, help us let go of stress, gain new perspective, recharge, maybe you get to read a good book, great time with people we love, seeing maybe beautiful parts of creation. Vacations can really nourish us, they're wonderful. But sometimes, sometimes vacations are overly luxurious. We don't actually need those things, and what we're doing is running away, escaping, hiding, numbing. And so when God doesn't give us a really good vacation, there may be a reason why. Maybe a really good vacation wouldn't have moved us towards the intimacy we seek because we want the vacation to distract us from our hearts and God rather than open us to the ultimate source of love, life, and joy. I remember it was before a final at the seminary. I didn't particularly study well for this final. <laughs> it w- and uh, we had to learn 140 some scripture passages and then you were gonna go in and there was 140 sheets of paper. You were gonna pick one up and then you had an oral exam on that sheet of paper for 15 minutes. I had done three other finals and it was my last one and it was like 10 o'clock at night. I remember studying like three or four of them. I said, you know what? I'm tired, I don't care, I'm going to bed. So that sounded good at the time because I was tired went to bed, woke up, and I was like, oh, this isn't good. (laughs) There's 137 passages now, I don't know. (laughs) So I remember going, and I was already studying for my 30-day retreat, and I remember just said, God, if me failing this is actually going to move me closer to you, then I want to fail it. First time in my life I ever said anything like that, right? Because we always want to pass, we always want the A, we always want to do well, but what if that would have filled me up with vanity and pride? What if that would mean to trust in my own devices rather than God? God is not masochistic. He doesn't want to have us suffer for suffering's sake. But he knows that sometimes he has to allow difficult things because they're the only things that get into our hearts to crack us open to actually have some honest moments with God. Too often when we go to pray... It's merely, as a psychologist this past week spoke to the priests in the diocese, it's merely patting the back of our ego rather than true prayer. So in the psalm today, we hear, Fill us with your love, O Lord. It's this beautiful, warm desire. Lord, I need to be loved. I feel so invisible, alone, scared. My sins are shouting at me that I'm bad and broken. I don't know who would love me with my brokenness. Lord, fill me with your love. Or in the second reading, the word of God can pierce between soul and spirit. Meaning when we pray with scripture, there's a certain light that we can see our lives in that wouldn't be there otherwise. Prayer is not easy. For those people who "Why well, I tried praying, it was really just nothing was happening, so I gave it up. Yeah, it's hard. Simone Vey, a female French philosopher, said, the reason people don't pray is no one can see the face of God and live. Meaning, I can't keep my ego, my false perceptions, my defenses alive and encounter God. Either I have to die to all that's face, fake in me so I can discover Jesus and his radiance, Or, I have to ignore Jesus and keep my own way of living and coping. A lot different than grandma saying, make sure you say your prayers before you go to bed at night. Prayer is the number one indicator of a holy life. But I don't mean people who just say prayers. That's a start. But people are willing to go deep willing to experience and suffer and enter into the vulnerability and nakedness of our human hearts before God and discover He is kind. He does want what's best. I can trust Him. The indicator of a good prayer time is not the prayer time. It's everything after that time. The prayer time may be dry, dark, difficult, challenging, agitating, distracting, but to do the prayer time sets us up. We know if that time was fruitful if the rest of the day we find ourselves being more generous, kind, patient, loving, more courageous to speak the truth, willing to witness to Jesus. If that's growing in our lives, our prayer time was fruitful There was an old priest at the seminary when I was there, and he said, Him and this other old priest, they used to go into the chapel at 5 a.m. for their holy hours. And he said, You know, I had this beautiful holy hour. Just the Lord was speaking. I had great images. I knew he was alive. He goes, And I came out from my holy hour and saw the other old, old priest sleeping. And I thought, I did such a better holy hour than him. And he goes, You know what? I left my holy hour prideful and judging. He at least was asleep, not committing any sins. These are holy men. These are men who are very far on the road. So I was praying this week, and I thought, you know what? We sometimes just need to know a number. How long am I supposed to pray? What's the thing? We just need it when we start off. You know, it's not etched in stones. It's like telling a married couple, make sure you talk 10 minutes a day. They're like, okay, it's not etched in stone, but we sometimes need a a check mark just to get us going. So I was thinking this week, and and I think this is pretty good. So if you are like in high school, middle school, college, and you're just busy and going through life in the developmental years, you do, seven minutes of silence alone with God a day, minimally. Seven minutes. It will feel like 200, but seven. Start with seven minutes. What do I do in that time? Read a little scripture, journal, pray part of the rosary, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you how to pray. The habit of seven minutes alone. Now, if you're in the work world or you have kids and you're in the thick of life and you're doing that type of season of your life, 10 minutes. Father, where am I going to find 10 minutes? You're too busy for God. Let that soak in. Just let that soak in. Let it hurt a little bit, not out of a masochistic way, but just you're too busy for God. As if you'd be too busy for a spouse. This happens sometimes, not because we're mean or selfish people, but life comes at us. Sometimes you just have to stop and say, wait a minute I'm too busy for God. I need to carve out a different time here. I need to change some things. And your attempts this week to change things please God, and they show how holy you are. You care about God enough to work on your schedule. Ten minutes a day. Okay, so kids are in college. Out of the house. You're getting a little bit older now, right? Things are different. Fifteen. Fifteen minutes of silence alone, opening the vulnerabilities of your heart, letting Scripture move you to Argue with God. Why did you say those things that sound so hard? Asking God for love. Fill us with your love. Pleading with him for someone you care about. Praying a rosary or journaling. 15 minutes. Now, if you're retired and you're in that part of your life, 20 to 30 minutes. Father, 20 to 30 minutes. Well, you're going to be doing it for all of eternity in heaven. So we should probably get... Uh, a developing taste for it now. (laughs) Okay, so how do we begin? By beginning. How do you learn how to paint? By painting. How do you learn how to play basketball? By playing basketball. How do you learn to pray? By just sitting down and trying it. But here's something that was mind-blowing to me. It's natural to pray. It's unnatural not to You were created by God for intimacy with him. It's quite the most natural thing to do is to be with the love of the Father. It's what we were created for. To not do that is actually unnatural. Lungs are made for oxygen. Eyes are made for colors and shapes. Ears are made for sound. Human hearts are made for God's love. And so one of the things we discover as we pray, which has been one of the most beautiful things for me to discover, is we find our real identity in prayer. In light of the scriptures, in willing to be vulnerable and repent of our own egos, which is always scary and hard, what we discover is we're fragile. We're small. We're weak. We have constant needs. And we never grow out of that because we're always children before our Father. And so, based on where you are in your life, I'd like to just encourage you, if it's been a long time since you've just sat alone with God, would you try to give them seven minutes this week if that's where you need to start? If you've already been doing it, but my time kind of check marks I gave you, you need to step it up, then why not? Why not try it? As a priest, I try very hard every day to do a holy hour. It's my vocation. It's the way my life is ordered. It's different than the lay vocation, an ordained life. Right? These hours sometimes are filled with a lot of peace and comfort, and I can just rest with the Lord. Sometimes it's an hour of battling and arguing and complaining. and My, you know, my, my, uh, my, my prayer time when I leave those times is very exhausting. Sometimes it's with Scripture. Sometimes it's in silence. Sometimes I'm journaling. What we do in the time is really secondary to giving God undivided time. If you and God were married, would you need marriage counseling? So this week, let us show we believe that God is alive and active. God can restore our country. God can heal our church. God can fix our homes. God can fix our hearts, not us. Let us witness to this truth by giving him some time so that his gift to us of prayer can bring us the joy of being childlike again. Amen.